Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program today, have a conversation with uh, Aaron Wyatt, viola player, composer and conductor. He's joining us ahead of Fast Voices Showcase, an important evening of music and conversation celebrating the vital contribution First Nations musicians and composers make to the vitality of the orchestral sector. Also on NITV Radio today, we have a conversation with two academics from South Australia talking about the Ghana Language Revitalization Project. As you may know, the last Ghana speakers passed away at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. But thanks to this project, Ghana is awake again and counts several dozen speakers. Today we also explore a new campaign encouraging First Nations communities to get screened for bowel cancer, one of the main causes of mortality in the community. As you'll hear, despite its invasive nature, bowel cancer is curable if treated early. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news, and today we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Indigenous Voice Referendum, subject to a marathon debate in Parliament. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese and his Indian counterpart boost diplomatic ties with new partnership agreements. And thousands of protesters march on the Israeli Parliament as the Netanyahu government attempts to pass their new budget. version of the Indigenous Voice Referendum question is back up for debate in Federal Parliament today in another late-night referendum session for Federal MPs. Parliament is set to vote on the final wording of the referendum question along with the changes to the Constitution should the proposal succeed. It comes as Indigenous issues are set to go under the spotlight at Senate estimates where questions surrounding the voice will feature. Opposition leader Peter Dutton says the proposal will re-racialize our nation, a comment that Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Bani has called disinformation. 
Deputy Liberal leader Susan Lee was asked today if her party has resorted to scare tactics when discussing the referendum. Absolutely not. Of course debate should be respectful. And overwhelmingly it is. And we will always call out outliers who behave in a disrespectful manner, who have divisive language and who don't treat this referendum in the way that all referenda should be treated in Australia. We will always call that out. But overwhelmingly, I'm pleased to see that people are asking genuine questions. Unfortunately, they're not getting answers. Peter Dutton said the voice would re-racialise Australia, something Linda Barney said was misinformation and disinformation. The Australian Security Intelligence Organisation boss wants the voice to parliament debate may trigger violence. As your Director General Mike Bajes was questioned during Senate estimates about the potential risks associated with the voice to parliament referendum due to occur in the second quarter of this year. He says the debate may incite spontaneous violence, pointing out that 30% of Asia's current counter-terror caseload is right-wing terror threats. National's leader David Littleproud, who announced the party would not support the referendum to establish an Indigenous advisory body, says the Nationals have been respectful during the debate. I, I take the ASIO uh, director's advice uh, at face value, but I'm more optimistic about uh, my fellow Australians. I believe uh, that we're fair, and we're fair in being able to determine our own view, particularly on a decision that's deeply personal for every Australian. And I'm proud of the fact that the Nationals who made their stand some eight months ago have been respectful in the way that we've crafted our debate. It's never been personal, it's never been vindictive. It's been about the lived experience that we have, and I intend to maintain that. Indigenous Australian land rights activist Noel Pearson says the voice to parliament is about, an, is about integration, not separatism. Speaking at a keynote address at the University of Sydney, the lawyer and academic is reiterating the constitutional value of a voice to parliament for First Nations Australians. Mr Pearson says the voice is about allowing Indigenous Australians to engage in an active citizenship within Australian society that isn't confined to the periphery. Really, it's not a matter of recognising us. It's a matter of recognising yourselves, recognising what being an Australian is. If if you don't recognise the place of Indigenous people in your idea of Australia, then what kind of idea of Australia do you have? We won't truly recognise ourselves as Australians until there's a proper place of Indigenous people in that idea of Australia. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi signed two new economic partnership agreements during a bilateral meeting in Sydney this morning. The new Migration and Labour Mobility Partnership Agreement will make it easier for students and business people to move between Australia and India while also increasing cooperation to prevent people smuggling. Prime Minister Albanese has also announced the signing of a new Australia-India Green Hydrogen Task Force. He says it will ensure their two countries reach global emissions reductions targets. The task force will comprise Australian and Indian experts in renewable hydrogen and report to the Australian-Indian Ministerial Energy Dialogue on the opportunities which are there for Australia and India to cooperate in this important area of renewable hydrogen. Investments like the task force will help power our industries in the future, 
and ensure that Australia and India meet our energy targets in the interests of both our respective countries, but also in support of reduction of global emissions. Over 100 Australian academics are calling on the Albanese government to rethink its AUKUS nuclear powered submarine deal, saying the move risks increasing tensions with China. The letter states that the deal, which may cost up to $368 billion, is likely to compound Australia's strategic risks, heighten geopolitical tensions, and undermine efforts at nuclear non proliferation. Dr. Alison Brunowski is an academic and former diplomat for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, currently serving as the president of Australians for War Powers Reform, an anti-war campaign group. Dr. Brunowski is one of the 110 academics to sign the open letter, and she says the AUKUS deal could be seen by China as provocation and may lead to an arms race in the region. What this does is create a potential arms race in the region and it is a clear signal of aggression from Australia and the United States towards China, which eventually the Chinese may feel that they have to respond to. Thousands of protesters are marching on the Israeli parliament in Jerusalem as Benjamin Netanyahu's government attempts to pass a controversial new budget. As the vote approaches, people have begun rallying outside, waving Israeli flags, chanting and blowing horns. The far-right government is facing a cost-of-living crisis and fallout from its now-suspended judicial overhaul, which drove away investment and cut growth prospects throughout Israel. The proposed budget is being criticized for allocating $5.6 billion in discretionary funds, much of it for ultra-Orthodox and pro-settler parties. Opposition leader Yair Lapid says the budget was the most destructive in Israel's history, stating this is what economic suicide looks like, a successful, sophisticated, educated country wiping out its own future. One protester, a former employee of Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, says the budget aims only to help the country's elite. These people are doing nothing. The government of Israel is doing nothing for the state or for the people. Today is the day on which they are going to vote for a budget. This is not a budget for the state. This is a budget for themselves, for their cronies. And uh, it will be a very, very great disaster for the state if this budget goes on. The Russian Defense Ministry has released footage that it said showed the destruction of Ukrainian saboteurs in the Belgorod region. Ministry spokesman Igor Konashenkov said the Ukrainian forces had been driven back into Ukrainian territory from the Russian territory. He claimed more than 70 attackers were killed in the course of the operation. It was not possible to independently confirm claims about an armed incursion into Russian territory that began Monday. Moscow blamed the raid on Ukrainian military saboteurs, while Kiev portrayed the incident as an uprising against the Kremlin by Russian partisans. 
and to support the Brisbane Lions AFL club has come out in support of the Indigenous Voice to Parliament today. The club says they conducted a voluntary survey within the organisation and after gauging opinions from board members, staff and players have decided to throw their support behind the proposal. This comes after last week's announcement that the AFL Commission would be backing the Yes campaign in the upcoming referendum. The Lions follow Geelong, Richmond, Essendon, Collingwood and West Coast in publicly supporting The Voice and have touted their proud history with Indigenous players. A statement from the club says, We commit to listening, learning and working together to create a club that respects and welcomes everyone from our first peoples to our new West Australians. Now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 29, Perth, a shower 2, 21 degrees, Adelaide, mostly sunny 20, Melbourne, partly cloudy 17, Hobart, similar conditions 18, Albury, Wodonga, mostly sunny 14, Canberra, partly cloudy 14, Wollongong, sunny 19, Sydney, also sunny 20, Newcastle, sunny 21, Brisbane, similar conditions 24, Townsville, mostly sunny 26, Keynes, a shower 227, Alice Springs, sunny day 26, Darwin, sunny 31, and the Torres Strait Islands, cloudy day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Patron Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Next in your program, First Nations contribution to orchestra and classic music with Nunga man Aaron Wyatt, the first Indigenous Australian to ever conduct a state orchestra in the country. And Ghana language revitalization project will be explored in the program as well. We also look at a new campaign encouraging First Nations people to get screened for bowel cancer. But right now, conversation with Aaron Wyatt. First Voices Showcase is an important evening of music and conversation celebrating the vital contribution First Nations musicians and composers make to the ongoing vitality of the orchestral sector. The evening will be directed by Noonga composer and violist Aaron Wyatt, the first Indigenous composer to have conducted one of the nation's major state orchestras, the MSO in concert. And I'm happy to say Aaron has just joined us on NITV Radio to explore the event. First of all, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio, Aaron. Awesome, thanks for having me. Am I correct to say that uh, this is the culmination of a year-long hard work to bring uh, this about? Um, it's, I'm just trying to remember when the composers actually started. So I think it's been maybe towards the end of last year or early this year that um, both James Henry and Vonda Last, the, the two composers who are being showcased uh, in the concert, sort of started workshopping ideas with the MSO. So they had a whole lot of workshops with the players to see what was possible with the orchestral instruments. Um, and they've been slowly developing their pieces 
we had a read-through of them back in April, and it was a chance for them to sort of hear them performed on real instruments for the first time and to actually get some feedback on how they were sounding. So it's kind of, it's probably not a year-long process, but it's, it's been a culmination um, of, I guess, a lot of uh, workshopping that the composers have had with the, with the MSO and uh, to a lesser extent with myself. The music on the day will be, they'll be performing with uh, trained First Nations musicians, Sambo Dutala, alongside uh, the MSO. How does it feel uh, conducting uh, this uh, combination? I mean, it, it's, it feels pretty much like uh, any other ensemble, really, which is great, uh, because both, uh, I, I believe that uh, Alara Riggs-Patterson on double bass and I think Jackson Wally on cello are joining uh, the MSO for it. So they're two sort of fairly long-standing members of Ensemble Dutala, and you know, they're, they're very capable players. They're, they fit right in, in the ensemble uh, and great musicians. So it's, it'll feel, I guess, just like any other performance. Um, but it's really, you know, it, it's great, uh, seeing finally um, this sort of First Nations compositions, and not not that First Nations people haven't been mu- making music for a long time, but we're only really just now starting to see them in this sort of Western art music kind of idiom. What can you tell us about uh, these uh, two works that will be premiering on the night, uh, Vonda Last's Awakening and uh, James uh, Henry's uh, Widow? Yeah, so they're both brand new works uh, that they've been writing for the the ensemble yeah james henry's piece um okay sort of grounded in, in in culture i'm it's it's quite an active piece there's a lot of sections and transitions between sections and uh a lot happening it's it's some very really well written stuff um and beautiful orchestration uh so really you know quite an exciting um and energetic piece that's what i'm looking for very very energetic uh, although with some moments of really beautiful um, reflection, um, Vonda's piece is, is a little bit more uh, reflective in nature. Um, I think it sort of probably comes from her background as a, as a sing, singer-songwriter, so it has that that kind of really song-like character to it in places. But they're both, uh, yeah, both fun pieces, and really, really looking forward to seeing uh, how the orchestra treats them and uh, how they developed since the last workshop that we did back in April. Yeah, because uh, one of the, pro- the, 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 the premises of uh, this project is that uh, f- the Fast Voices program, the two composers per year, are selected and uh, they receive a paid commission to develop a chamber work for mm-hmm. the MSO and uh, these are the Fast uh, uh, alumni. Now, any other names in the background that we should be expecting to see in the future? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure actually. There's there's quite a few um, sort of composers who have come through recently through uh, the Narraburia program, uh, myself included. Um, so it's a program that that Chris Sainsbury has been been running now for a number of years um, with the help of Ensemble Offspring. So it's a chance for once again a similar sort of environment to this, where Indigenous composers can workshop pieces uh, for Ensemble Offspring and then have them performed. In the case of Narraburia, it's kind of it's a program that's really aimed at indigenous musicians who've had a, a successful career already as musicians. Uh, so they're either performers, they're singer songwriters, they're they're doing something in the space of music, but they haven't really uh, been in that sort of world of, of Western art music composition. Yeah. And so it's a program that sort of allows them to step sideways into that. And so, I mean, James is an alumni, uh, an alumnus of that uh, program. 
and uh, I, I suspect that that in the future we might see a few more uh, from there sort of moving into to this uh, MSO development space as kind of a, a next step uh, for them to hone their craft. Yeah, and they'll be performing with uh, the MSO, the the First Nations musicians, and Sambo Datala. When can we see an opera that's hundred percent? own I mean, orchestral music that's hundred percent indigenous. Uh, <laughs> that's I mean that's probably a long time off. I mean, Ensemble Datala has kind of started that as it has as a chamber ensemble because we just there's not the number of players there um, to create a full orchestra. So, but certainly, I mean, we're we're now already seeing plenty of works uh, for full orchestra, um, not performed by Indigenous players, but written by Indigenous composers. So, um, you know, the, the immediate one that springs to mind, of course, is Deborah Cheatham, who's done a lot of work with the MSO. Of course, did Pecan Summer, her first opera, many years back now, over sort of a decade ago, uh, and has gone on to do some to make some really major uh, compositions. Um, particularly Umarella, her War Requiem for Peace, which uh, premiered just a few years back and I think has another performance coming up sometime in the not-too-distant future. I believe actually later this year with the MSO. Yeah, the MSO is doing really... Is there any other actually state orchestra doing something like this or this is just unique to Victoria? Uh, no, there's... I mean, the MSO has definitely been uh, a pioneer in a lot of these sorts of programs. Um but it, it, the other state orchestras have definitely uh, definitely had their initiatives and are definitely starting to, to do things as well, uh, as well as a lot of the other major performing arts companies. Um, I had the, the pleasure back in, oh, I believe it was 2021, all the, the lockdown years kind of merged into one, but um, back in 21 of, of conducting uh, Gina Williams and Guy Gauss's opera entirely in Noongar called um, Kulbadi Wawadong or Magpie and Crow, uh, sort of with the, with the WA opera. So... There are plenty of, of big arts organisations out there who are, are starting to, to embrace uh, these sorts of projects and who are starting to, I guess, really see Indigenous cultures as being something that, that really does belong in the concert halls and uh, in our opera houses and those other sorts of, of um, you know, more classical sort of settings. Aaron White, before I let you go, any closing words or maybe uh, addition to the conversation of something we may have missed that's really important for our listeners? No, I think we've we've really covered it all. Um, it might be just worth mentioning, as I was saying, that the Narraburia program uh, that's been run by Chris Sainsbury and, and um, with the help of Ensemble Offspring has released a CD. Uh, so if you did want to hear uh, more works, by Indigenous composers, including as myself and James Henry. Um, there's a CD out on uh, ABC Classic called the Narraburia Composers uh, Project. So uh, that'll be worth checking out. But otherwise, uh, I think we've, we've covered everything and just looking forward to, to actually getting to perform uh, these pieces on Friday night. Aaron White, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today on NITV Radio. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. The Kana language is a language of Adelaide Plains and it is now being revitalised thanks to a project by Professor Robert Amory of the University of Adelaide and his colleague, PhD candidate Susie Greenwood. The pair sat down with NITV Radio's Sharka Pekova for a yarn on how they managed to awaken Kana language. 
In this part of the yarn, Professor Amiri explains the difficulties of the Ghana language. Learning any language takes quite a lot of effort. Mm. So I would say that one of the uh, one of the challenges probably is the fact that Ghana and the other indigenous languages of Australia are a different language family um, to English, very, very different. So for most of the sort of Anglo-Australian population and also the indigenous people who may have grown up only speaking English, uh, it is a very different language. It works in a very different way. But thanks to the way that it was so carefully documented by the German missionaries, we do have a, a good grammar to work with. And it's just a case of trying to put your mind in a different way of thinking and a different way of speaking. You can't necessarily translate like for like. The language doesn't work in the same way. It uses uh, neat little endings for things rather than prepositions, you know, are in, at, on, over those little words. Nothing like that in Varna. It uses a system of suffixes. So it's, it is it is different. And of course, there's sounds in Ghana that you don't find uh, in English or indeed in other European languages. So it is quite a steep learning curve, especially for people who may not have had the opportunity to, to learn a second language uh, previously in their lives. So as an adult, it's always going to be harder. So there are challenges, but with the uh, with the training courses that Rob and his wife Marianne are running, it's giving the opportunity to Ghana people uh, and other people in Adelaide to actually get to grips with the language and, and practice as well as using those resources, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And what were the... Yeah, sorry, Rob, go on. A 24-page sketch grammar that those missionaries, Takaman and Sherman, did record. Well, it resonates very, very strongly with what we know of uh, other Pamanyungan languages like Walpuri like or Pindata or other languages up north, which are spoken fluently. We don't have a complete record of the grammar of the language, uh, but what they did produce, well, at least it's workable. We can we can work out how to say most things that we want would like to say. And I would add too that um, they recorded over a hundred neologisms, new words for new things at that time. So, tipple spark fire for matches, for nullity for key, the twisting thing, the twister. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so on. So we can use those word formation patterns uh, that first language speakers of Ghana used at the time to talk about new things that were introduced to them to develop new terms for things that we have to deal with now. So karakarati, uh, the thing for habitually flying in as the aeroplane, mukandu, uh, the lightning brain is the computer, lightning for electricity, uh, and so on. And we can be yeah, you know, fairly confident about the way those words are, are formed. And mm -hmm. uh, just to give you one little example, uh, many years ago now, uh, we needed a word for a year. And I knew from working with Yungamata up in northeast Arnhem Land that they use the word Walchan, which means rain. It means wet season. And they also use it for year. So I knew Yungamata did that. I took the word Walchati being summer. And I used that for a year down here. And then I uh, checked 
couple of years after that in William Wyatt's word list, and lo and behold, there it was, Waldati Summer Year, recorded by William Wyatt. So it confirmed what I had already done. Oh, wow. But having not, if I hadn't worked with those strong languages up north, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the confidence to do what I do. It, mm. it gives me a sense of how these languages are structured semantically and the, you know, the kind of structures and extensions that they use. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like this complete magic world of knowledge that you're kind of really getting into, or, you know, like this magic world that could have been lost, but is not, it's revived. Yes. Yeah. It's, and sometimes we just have to, we have to take certain guesses about the way some words are pronounced because there are three different R sounds in Ghana. For instance, I'll just give you an example. So hurry with an R like in English means creek or river. Putty, the short tap, is uh, maggot or rice. But putty with a rolled R is lit, as in lit a fire. So depending on the R that you use, it has three different meanings. Mm -hmm. And we can't tell from the written record the difference between all those R's. Parkman Sherman had a habit of writing both the rolled R and the rounded R like in English with a double R. So they spelled Garawerapari, the Red Gum Forest River, the River Torrens, here in Adelaide, all with double R's, Gara, Wera, Hurry. Now, Gara and Wera do have a double R, a rolled R, but Hurry is an R like in English, even though it's spelled exactly the same way as the others. Mm -hmm. So unless we have a cognate word, the counterpart, counterpart word in the neighbouring languages of Nubana or Adjimatna, which were recorded by linguists, um, we just have to take a guess at what kind of R it is, what kind of T, what kind of N, what kind of L. Hmm. So I often wonder if I had Doctor Who's time machine and was able to travel back and <coughs> talk to Gadlet Pinner or Mulawera Borka, those Ghana men who were the informants for the missionaries, whether they would understand me. Um, I think they would, but it would be rather like, you know, a second language speaker of English, a Japanese person, uh, and the confounding of the R's and L's. <laughs> but but still... we can usually overlook that, right? The, fried lice, fried rice phenomenon. We, we know from context uh, what people are trying to say, but it would be like that. Sometimes I would be getting the R wrong, but uh, we just try and do the best we can. And so what is the state of the language now? Like, are there speakers? Is it possible to speak it as such, or is it used for certain occasions, maybe? Uh, the Ghana language is mainly used for speeches of welcome to country, increasingly for speeches of acknowledgement of country, but also a lot of naming of uh, people themselves, naming of Ghana children and pet animals, um, all sorts of things, parks, walking trails, uh, programs, conference themes, any number of things have Ghana names these days. Uh, in terms of people using it to converse with, well, a couple of people have become quite knowledgeable and, and quite fluent. Jack Gunyabuckskin would be the most fluent speaker. And um, he's been bringing his children up as at least semi-native speakers of Ghana. There are some words that his children would only know in Ghana, some they would only know in English, some they know in both. Still a ways to go before it becomes a sort of language of daily conversation. Hmm, hmm. And uh, what was the reaction of the community once the language was introduced to the wider community? But to the wider community, well, I think quite positive by and large. Um, well, a lot of people 
ignore the language, I guess, but there hasn't really been the negative reaction that I had anticipated. No, a lot of the reaction has been quite positive. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a demand from the non-Indigenous community for Ghana language courses to learn Ghana for access to Ghana language materials. Many, many schools across the Adelaide Plains are looking for a teacher of Ghana. And that's a bit of a problem because we don't have enough people who have the knowledge and the training to be able to teach those programs. That's what we're trying to work on at the moment, to teach some courses through Tawandi College and Aldinga Pioneer College to Aboriginal people to teach their own languages. Mm -hmm. That's great. And uh, you already mentioned it before, uh, you two collaborated with other people as well on a new web page that has been launched and it's aimed at people to help them learn the language. Can you tell us a little bit more what we can find on this on this page and where can we find it and who is it for? So the uh, the new Ghana website you'll find at ghanawara.org.au and it's a pretty comprehensive website. It builds on work that was done quite, I'm not sure, Rob, when was the older website? 2005. 2005, so almost 20 years ago now, there was an older website that sat on the University of Adelaide servers, but that was uh, more a sort of research orientated. It was a, a good repository for information. Whereas this new website, uh, which is independent and actually run by and for the Ghana community, is, we hope, going to be a bit more accessible uh, to the wider population. We've divided it up so that you can find information about the Ghana people, about Ghana place names and also about Ghana language. On top of that, it's also a one-stop shop where you can watch videos to learn a bit of Ghana. You can have a play of those online games that Rob mentioned, as well as actually purchasing resources, books, CDs, games, and other learning aids. And we've also got a section on there with some news and events of upcoming courses and things. So hopefully it's got everything on there that people might need. And the other thing that, that it will do Uh, hopefully, is to actually streamline and make it easier to respond to the overwhelming, in fact, demand for Ghana language from companies and organisations and schools and uh, just ordinary people who are looking for translations. So we've got a little sort of survey form on there. And if people need some information and some words translated or they have suggestions for naming a new school room or meeting room or whatever then we can actually process that much more easily now through the uh, online forms actually from the Ghana website. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well before we finish how do we say thank you in Ghana language? Well there isn't really words for thank you in Aboriginal languages but Takam um, and Sherman tell us that Oh, my dear older brother, exclusive to my dear older brother, uh, is so as much as to say thank you. So these days we just say Nachalia, thanks, or we use that longer expression with the kin term, Nachalia, oh, my dear older sister, Nachalia, oh, my dear older brother. Nachalia. Well, Nataya, so much for joining us on NITV Radio and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you, Sarka. Thank you. Nakura. Nakura. 
Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. A new campaign is encouraging Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to stay strong and healthy by doing a free bowel cancer screening test every two years from the age of 50. Joining me to discuss this campaign is uh, Trevor Tim. Welcome to NITV Radio, Trevor. Hi, good good afternoon. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Just catching up to talk about this campaign because data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare indicates that uh, just over a third of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples completed their bowel cancer screening tests uh, as part of the national program. Very important to do so. My, my example, my experience, I'm uh, 57 years old. I've always got the um, uh, the mail in the mailbox, the letter saying about bowel uh, cancer, suggests I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. And here I am, 57 years old, and I thought, you know, I better go and do this test. And I went and did it and um, got the results back, all good, thumbs up, it's all clear, but um, procrastinating on it, only because I was so busy and I think, oh, yeah, I'll tackle it. But time flies by, Bertrand, and now it's seven years down the track. But I've done it and it's all good and it's it's simple as and for for jokes to you know jokes in regard to uh, black people are strong with comedy and with jokes because um, the other hat I wear is with um, uh, Bama Bipra Media uh, Indigenous Radio Station in Cairns and I do National Talk Black and I interviewed um, Uncle um, Brother Cousin um, Doctor Joel Winnetong and he is an ambassador for bowel cancer and he says. All you do is do guna and send it back to the government, as in do, do come on, do 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 your shit, and, and send it back to the government. <laughs> That's the funny part of it. So I use it as as a good tool for jokes for our, our black people, especially our black men. And uh, go and do your shit and send it back to the government. <laughs> yeah, just that came from Dr. Joel Winnetong. So there's a black doctor giving us permission to use that um, uh, that analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did that. I sent my uh, my shit back to the government and come back thumbs up. But in seriousness, uh, it's a simple process. It needs to be done. And if you ain't going to do it for yourself, then do it for your children or your grandchildren. Very important. Yeah, but humor goes a long way because this is a process that uh, some might find a little bit disturbing. Some find it funny and humor goes a very, very long way. But uh, yeah, there there could be some cultural reasons why people just don't want to do this test. Uh, what's sure. the explanation? Exactly. Yeah. Well, then we're talking about, say, your feces, you know, your, your, your private uh, outlet, and then you're digging into it, but you, you put a pair of gloves on if you need to. You know, and it is your feces anyway, so, you know, um, nothing much to it. I think we could um, escalate uh, the thought process, but we don't need to, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, when you look at closing the gap and regarding longevity uh, for life for for our black people, well, we all need to do our bit, you know, in regarding supporting us, helping us close that gap. Uh, we need to own it as well. And uh, like I said, if you ain't going to do it for yourself, then do it for your children or your grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the motivation, yeah. I think. No, we're joking about it, but bowel cancer is uh, one of uh, the biggest killers in the country. It's the second biggest cancer well, it killer. Is. It is. It's even worse than breast cancer, you know. And and I, I heard that uh, men do get breast cancer, but when you think of breast cancer or any other cancer, liver cancer, but bowel cancer is one of the highest 
killers out there. So we need to act on it, don't we? Yeah. And uh, most importantly, people are probably not aware of this. It's that uh, it's a cancer that's very invasive, but if uh, detected early and treated, detected it's uh, earlier. curable. Yes, yes. And that's what we need to do. So you, you, when you turn 50, you need to do it. And uh, I believe it's every two years thereafter, you know. Yeah, and uh, how is this? Uh, how is this campaign uh, structured? Uh, what are the components of the campaign? Well, it, it's about uh, promoting, um, you know, action, being active with getting tested. Yeah, and um, yeah, promotion marketing, like anything in life, in business, marketing. Yeah. If McDonald's stop telling us that it's max 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 time. Yeah. Which stuff? I think the burgers are better hungry jacks, you know. So marketing <laughs> is it promotion, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and all we're doing is 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 black voices having black conversations, you yeah, know. So yeah, here's yeah. a black man talking to black man talking about, um, you know, promoting and um, your your checkups and and your testings, and 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 that's how we close the gap, longevity for our people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the longest living culture on planet Earth, but then our people are dying a lot earlier, earlier than anybody else. So we need to change that narrative, you know, change that, uh, those statistics big time yeah. by changing the narrative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. So there are resources for to promote this campaign. It will be on TV and media everywhere. TV, radio, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even social media. Yeah. Um, me being an ambassador for bowel cancer. Uh, I've seen it on social media. Uh, I yet to see it on TV, and yet to hear. Uh, I heard it on radio actually, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen it on TV. But by any means necessary, whatever vehicle we got it there to promote it, then so be it. If our, our uh, you know, if our family mob are on Facebook, then put it on Facebook. If they're on Instagram, put it on Instagram. Use the social media. Put it out there. Um, I know that as ambassador, and I do a lot of MC jobs. Um, as a you know, motivational speaker so when I'm on stage I also promote it there as well everywhere I go it's, it's part of me being yeah. age 57 being a black man yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, being a leader for my people yeah. are you deadly brothers out there stand up go get tested do your tests you know bowel cancer and let's live longer for our people and an important thing is uh, this uh the test kit is free as well, so it's a free test. Free as well, It doesn't yes. cost anything, and it saves lives. Exactly. Well, it's send to your doorstep, and then you do your test, and then you just drop it at the post box, put it in the little red box, it gets mailed away, and a couple of times you get your test back, yeah and nay. And like I said, if it's detected, and early it's detected, then um, the, the better you are, safer you are. Yeah. Prevention. Yeah. Now, Trevor... Before I let you go, any final thoughts? Well, the old saying, well done, as Bethan Wall said, we need to act. <laughs> we need to act. So they're talking about it like Trendy Trev Murray from Curry, age 57, and talking about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I did, and nothing was holding me back. I was just too busy, and four grandchildren running around chasing them, but I just thought, hey, I have to do this test. And then the yeah. motion become ambassador as well. No, you want and to I see should him. have did it seven years ago. Definitely. I did do it only a couple of months ago, and then I got the thumbs up. It's all good, um, you know. And then if I was in a situation where it wasn't good, well, I let seven years pass. 
till I was age 50. So do it. Act on it now. So well done, as Bertha Mould said. Let's act, act, act. Let's close the gap to my brothers and sisters out there. That's the message. Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Patronosiana with you. All the best. Um, Stay black, stay deadly, stay strong, brother. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. And uh, that's all we have for you on NITV Radio this Wednesday afternoon. Thank you for staying with us today. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.